slumped on the single seat before her, letting the reins leading to the mules fall into his lap. He seemed as glad as the animals to stop for a moment. Hill turned his horse and let it amble back to the cart. Yes, fine, my love. I thought we might stop at that village up ahead and see if we can get some tea, yes? Oh, absolutely. Find some shade. She smiled at her husband. Alice Fonthill was exactly the same age as her husband, but there was very little sign of middle age in her face or figure. Dressed in a loose white cotton shift with sandals on her feet, she seemed neither plump nor slim, but sturdy, rather. With her midriff pulled in tightly by a lime-green bandana, her face was open, her features regular, and her eyes a steady grey. Indeed, she could have been called beautiful if it had not been for a certain squareness to her jaw which bestowed a sense of purpose. Under her floppy white hat, her hair was fair with only the lightest dusting of grey, and her skin was unfashionably tanned. Not for her the protected pallor of the Raj's Memsaibs, Mrs. Fonthill, known to her readers of London's Morning Post by her maiden name of Alice Griffith, was as comfortable out of doors as her husband. In fact... The two of them made a handsome couple as they smiled at each other in the heat. He was of middle height, at five foot nine inches, though now he slumped in the saddle. His shoulders were wide, and no fat had encroached to widen his waist, for a life spent farming and campaigning had made his body hard. His eyes were brown, and normally showed traces of reserve, but not now, as he looked at his wife with a tenderness that had survived years of sadness as well as joy. The most prominent feature of his face was the nose, broken years ago by a patan musket and now hooked, giving him a predatory air, that of a hunter looking for his prey. Yet his mouth, though thin-lipped, was soft and betrayed sensitivity. Perhaps that rarity in Queen Victoria's great empire, a warrior with a conscience? Fonthill jerked his head towards their guide, now seemingly asleep as he sat, hunched. Has he said much? He mouthed. She shook her head. Not a sausage? She whispered. He's not exactly sociable, is he? Ah, well, we can't be far from your uncle's place. This should be the last stop. Let's get on. He pulled on the rein and gently leant over and gave the sleeping man a prod, pointing ahead. We'll stop at that village, he said slowly. The Chinaman opened his eyes. He said nothing, but he jerked the reins and flicked his whip, and the two mules shuffled ahead, hardly disturbing the dust on the road. They had ambled barely a hundred yards when they heard the noise. It was difficult at first to tell the origin. Then it became clear. Voices raised. Chinese voices, of course, but with that distinctive sing-song pattern now lost and merged into a high-pitched howl. It came from the village ahead, and it personified hate and anger, the communal voice of a mob. Fonthill turned and shouted to their driver, Stay here! Enter Jenkins. Come on. They spurred their weary horses into something resembling a canter, and rounded the bend that wound into what seemed like the main street of small dwelling houses, more a hamlet than a village. 
The place was deserted, except for some dozen Chinamen who were surrounding a youth who stood befuddled as abuse was hurled at him as he twisted and turned to find a way out through the ring. The men were dressed all alike. They were barefooted and wore the loose pyjama-type garment of the Chinese peasant, but the pastoral effect of their clothing was completely dissipated by the red cloths tied round their heads, the red ribbons that fluttered from their wrists and ankles, and the scarlet girdles that circled their waists. Two of them carried swords, others large sticks. Boxers, breathed Simon. The boy in their midst was probably no more than sixteen, and he raised his hands in a desperate attempt to defend himself as the blows began to rain down on him. Then the lad went down on one knee under the force of the attack from all sides, and as he did so, two of his assailants drew their swords. That's enough, shouted Fontil. Stop that.